Chapter Thirteen, Parts C, D, and E of Aces Up. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Aces Up by Covington Clark, Chapter Thirteen, Parts C, D, and E. The Last of the Big Shows. Part C. That was the longest, hardest day ever put in by American aviators. They had little trouble in gaining and holding their supremacy, but they had a most difficult time, when the fog finally lifted, in getting any accurate information. The advance had been so rapid and so successful that the Hindenburg Line had been carried by the soldiers in the first few hours of battle. But in pressing forward, in the fog, they had been unable to keep close liaison. Instead of being a well-knit whole, they were little more than a storming victory-drunk mob. They stopped at nothing, and nothing could stop them. As for displaying their white muslin panels to airplanes so that their positions might be known, poof, they were too busy to fool around with panels, and those dizzy airbirds who never did anything but fly around and look for panels. Panels be hanged. This was a day for doughboys and the bayonet. Part D That night, after mess, the members of the squadron sat around in glum silence. The success of the day, with reference to gains, was great indeed. But Cowan was riding with whip and spur. He seemed not at all pleased with the work of his own group. Added to this, word had gone around of the dramatic happenings of the previous night, with the result that Siddons, the most disliked man in the squadron, had suddenly become their mourned hero. Even now they counted him as dead, for one precious day had already slipped away, and nothing in the world could save him. The success of the day seemed as nothing by the side of this tragic fact. Not the least distressing thought was the fact that they had treated him as one who had never earned the right to a full fellowship with them. And now they knew, too late, that he was a man of surpassing courage. They even learned from Cowan how Siddons, working with the French, had plotted trapping von Herzmann that day when the squadron was attacked for the first time. The lucky arrival of the French spads, they now knew, was not a matter of luck at all, but a daring plan to overwhelm the greedy German war eagle and rid the air of him. Yes, Siddons had courage and brains. There was no longer any doubt of that. Yancey voiced the thoughts of every man present when he said, It wouldn't be so tough if he could get it in the air, but this way, at a wall, is tough. But what about von Herzmann? Fouche asked. I guess it was tough for him, too. Yancey grinned and scratched his head. You know, he drawled, down in my home state, we sometimes make a mistake and slap a brand on a calf that's not really ours. Well, that's not so awful. But when somebody else makes the same mistake, it's stealing, pure and simple. War's a lot like that. We only see one side of it. And for my part, I'm fed up with seeing that side. Boy, I hone for Texas. Part E. McGee and Larkin, as flight leaders, had been called to Major Cowan's headquarters for the usual evening conference. The Major declared himself as displeased with the work of the day, but both of the young pilots experienced in the ways of the Army realized that Cowan's displeasure was but a reaction from pressure being put on him by the higher-ups. 
The general staff, they knew, must be gratified with the success of the day, for all objectives had been taken and the enemy sorely pressed. It was true, however, that communication had been far from perfect. Liaison had broken down, and the ground gained, therefore, was the result of the grim determination of the soldier of the line to end the thing speedily, rather than to a perfect coordination of all arms. But Major, McGee was defending the work of the squadron by pointing out the unusual and unforeseen obstacles. We couldn't see our wingtips until after nine o'clock, and when we could see, those doughboys wouldn't display their panels. They acted like they thought we would drop bombs on them. It's hard, Major, to get men to show white panels when they are under fire. They are afraid that the enemy will see them, too, and blow them off the face of the earth. It is always a hard problem. All battle problems are hard, Cowan replied. The commanders of the troops in the line are being ridden just as we are. The general staff feels that victory is in sight. They will accept nothing but the best of work, and we must do our full share. Yes, sir, of course, but I think the troops are to be congratulated for their success, and certainly this outfit was lucky in that we didn't hang any planes on the top of Vauquois or in the woods. Four balloons and three EA is not such a bad record for a day like this. We held complete supremacy. Congratulations will be in order after a complete success, Lieutenant. Now, for tomorrow. Here, see this map? Larkin winked shrewdly as Cowan led them over to a detailed wall map. The lines of departure are here. Our most advanced positions now, as near as we can tell, are well beyond the Hindenburg line, with the Hagen-Stelling line of defense facing our troops tomorrow. Montfaucon, the enemy's strongest point, and for months headquarters for the Crown Prince, blocks the way for the Fifth Corps. It is a commanding and strong position. No one knows just how strong it is. Pardon me, a voice came from directly behind them but I know a great deal about its strength. So interested had they been, they had not heard anyone enter. At the sound of the voice, they wheeled around. There stood Siddons, mud from head to foot, but smiling expansively. Siddons, Cowan exclaimed. You? Yes, sir, fortunately. All three of the startled men rushed forward to wring his hand. There was a hubbub of excited talk and exclamations of surprise, with no chance for the mind to put forth logical questions. Cowan was the first to gain some degree of composure. Heavens, man! How did you get here? Crawled, walked, and ran, and the last few miles in a sidecar, Siddons replied. Last night, at midnight, I was being held at Montfaucon under the trumped-up pretext that a staff officer was on his way to see me and that I was to take off with von Herzmann later in the night. But I knew that von Herzmann had taken off with another pilot, and I knew that the jig was up. They weren't accusing me of anything, as yet, but they were very quiet, and their manner told me all I needed to know. Then, bing, the barrage opened up. It was some surprise. They hadn't the foggiest notion that a blow was to be struck here. Almost the first pop out of the box, that long-range railway rifle at Neuville dropped one of those big G.I. cans just outside of headquarters. There was a grand scramble for the deep dugouts. You never saw so many high ones streaking it for safety. I made tracks, too, but I missed the dugout door by design. Pretty soon, another big shell came along and flopped down near the same place. 
but by that time I was a long ways from there and going strong. The night was as dark as the inside of a whale, but the glare of light from the guns on our side gave me direction. The rest was comparatively easy. Easy, Cowan exclaimed. How in the world did you get across the line? Major, the confusion was so great due to that barrage that I could have led an elephant up to the line with no one taking the time to challenge me. You forget that my German is quite good. On a dark night, well covered by a German officer's coat, which I borrowed from a chap who won't ever need it again, it was not a difficult feat. Believe me, my biggest worry was that I would get sent west by one of our own shells. When I reached the front line, I crawled in a funk hole and waited for dawning and for our own troops to come along. And when they started, man, how they came. The enemy is completely disorganized, Major, and victory will be ours within a month or six weeks. Maybe sooner. The Germans know it. Montfaucon will fall tomorrow. This is the last of the big shows. He paused, and his eyes, which McGee had always thought so cold, twinkled with merriment. By the way, he said, a division headquarters of the 79th, where I made a report, and was given transportation back here, the intelligence officer told me a spy was nabbed last night, a chap by the name of von Herzmann. Plane forced down, the officer told me. I wonder if it could be possible that he ran out of gas. Yes, Cowan replied, catching the spirit of the banter. He ran out of gas. Tut, tut, Siddons mockingly reproved. Wasn't that a careless thing for a great ace to do? End of chapter 13, parts C, D, and E.